0: Today we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles with us, you can um, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're not going to read that chapter quite yet. We're going to just kind of look at it. And today you're going to see that there's eight points to today's sermon. And you're automatically going to think, i got a football game that starts at 1.15 and I'd like to be home for that football game. You will be. Uh, trust me, when we get to those eight points, we're going to be putting our seatbelts on and we're going to be flying um, because I don't want to take a whole lot of time on each of them. But I couldn't, I just couldn't narrow it down. I'll talk more about that in just a little while. We're starting a new sermon series. It's going to be about a six-week series, give or take a couple of weeks. And it's called Being Positive in a Not-So-Positive World. It's interesting in our world, some people are more naturally optimistic. Some are more naturally pessimistic. An optimist will read the verse, My cup overflows, and they'll say, The Lord is blessing me. A pessimist will say, My cup overfloweth. Lord, there's going to be a mess in his house today. How many of you know somebody like the second one? All over the world today, it seems... Like people are looking for a reason to be critical. They're looking for a reason to be negative. It's almost as if it helps people feel better to be incredibly negative. Think about what you hear all the time. Even in your own self-talk between yourselves. And don't tell me you don't self-talk. I do it all the time in my office. Without knowing it, you can talk down to yourself saying, I don't have what it takes. My life stinks. I can't stand where I am in my life. Literally, we say that to ourselves over and over and over again until we almost talk ourselves into having a bad life. You talk to people all over today, and they're going to comment on all the negative things. The economy is doomed. Morals are falling apart in our nation. You can't trust anybody. Churches are dying right and left. Teenagers, and don't even start me on teenagers. No offense, teenagers are here today. And no matter where you fall politically, there's always a bone to pick with the government. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. And somebody's got to do something about it, is what many people think. The reality is, there are a lot of things going wrong in our world. There's no doubt about it. We as Jesus followers are not going to put our heads in the sand and pretend like there's not things going wrong. At the same time, God is doing a lot of amazing things all over the world. While there are things going wrong, there are so many things going right. We will often find what we are looking for when we are looking for it. What I mean by that is is that if we're looking for negative, you will find negative. If you're looking for positive, you will find positive. I love the illustration of two different types of birds. You take a buzzard and a hummingbird. Every single day, what does a buzzard find? A buzzard swerves around and finds dead things. Every single day, what does a hummingbird find? Sweet things. Day after day, proving you will always find what you look for. Please understand, that's just not some cheesy pastoral illustration. In fact, Scripture clearly teaches that very same principle in the next Scripture passage, which is in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 27. Here's what it says. If you search for good, you'll find favor. But if you search for evil, it will find you. In Proverbs 11:27, Solomon says, basically, you search for it, it'll find you, good or bad. But if you search for evil, what's going to happen according to Solomon? It's going to find you. You want to find the negative? You want to be miserable? You want to you you, you can search for it and you can find it. But if you search for the good, you can also find that as well. What's funny to me is is that there are probably some of you already decided that you don't like this message series. What I want you to understand is I'm not just coming at this from a pop psychology talk, yourself into a positive stance theology at all. In fact, if you're taking notes, I would love for you to write this down. I'm not optimistic based on what I feel. I'm optimistic on what God said. Please understand that. I am not optimistic on what I feel. I am optimistic on what God said. It's in your sermon outline in your bulletins if you'd like to fill in the blanks. What I want to do is I want to give you eight different reasons why I'm optimistic from the book of Romans chapter 8. Now, I'll be real honest with you, and I told Ruth this this past week. I found 23 reasons to be uh, optimistic in Romans chapter 8. And I thought to myself, you're all going to fall asleep and be pessimists forever if I give you 23. So I worked really, really hard to narrow it down to just eight. Because besides being long, eight reasons I'm optimistic and from Romans chapter 8 sounds so much cooler Then 23 reasons I'm optimistic from Romans 8. What I want to do is just from one chapter in the Bible, show you reasons why I personally am very optimistic. You should be too. Not, not, not based on what we feel, but based on what God says. Eight's a lot. So I will tell you, I call this my machine gun message. I'm going to be shooting fast. If you're ready to listen, here we go. Let's buckle our seatbelts and get down to business. The first thing that I find in Romans chapter 8 is my sins are forgiven and my eternity is secure. Listen to Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 2. Therefore, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of the sin and death. There is no condemnation. Not for everybody, but for those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to catch that. I want you to see what's underlined on each of these Scripture passages. There is no condemnation. Sure, you feel like you're condemned. Sure, you feel like the world looks at you weird. Sure, you act and, and, and have sin in your life and so you, you want to feel that you are condemned. But according to God's Word, if you know Jesus Christ, you do not stand here condemned today. You stand here free from condemnation. But sometimes our feelings get in way of our what god said i can't speak for you but i've been forgiven of a lot therefore this makes me incredibly optimistic about the goodness of my lord and god who would shed his blood that i could be forgiven set aside jesus to die for me, he was risen from the dead so I could be made new and it makes me optimistic to know that my sins are forgiven and my eternity is secure. Doesn't matter what you feel. Matters what's written. Trust me, that's what I've been telling myself in my I told you I talk to myself in my office all the time. Doesn't matter what you feel, Pastor Brett. It matters what is written doesn't matter that you feel beat up it doesn't matter that you feel like you're a loser it doesn't matter about those it matters what's written in romans chapter 8 and according to romans chapter 8 my eternity is secure my team doesn't have to win this afternoon for my eternity to be secure my team's not even playing this afternoon they were out from the first week of the season thank god i don't have to place my salvation on my team Friends, these are the things that people place their salvation... I am shocked by some of my friends on Facebook. Nobody here, so don't get worried. But How depressed they get when their team loses. My life is over! Please, if a football game sets you off that badly, you better go back to Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation. There's no losers in Him. The second part of this is Jesus is at the right hand of God praying for me. Listen to this verse. Verse 34 in Romans chapter 8. We're going to be jumping all around Romans 8. That's why I didn't read it for you earlier. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. What does it mean to intercede? It's a really cool word that means He's praying for us. He's not just praying for us. He's in deep prayer for us. So, so catch this, Faith Church. I'm optimistic because, look, I pray all the time, Lord Lead Faith Church, lead, lead me, lead Michelle, lead our family. I, I pray that all the time, but I just mumble sometimes. As I, I mean, I'm sure I'm not alone in this room. You don't even know what to pray anymore. And you're like, I, I, you know, it's come in 16 different ways, and I, I don't know whether to pray this or pray that or pray this. And then Romans 8.34 jumps off the page of me the other day in my office, and I'm looking at it, and I'm saying to myself, so Jesus... The one who loved me so much that he died on a cross if I was the only person that lived on this earth is praying for me. If that doesn't turn a pessimist optimistic, I don't know what will. Jesus, who died, rose again, And would have done it if I was the only person standing on this earth and I needed a way to God. So he would have bridged the gap to God if I was the only one standing here. And he's the one going to the Father saying, this is what Brett Kindig needs. Tell me prayer doesn't work. And I'll tell you that you're telling the Savior of the world that He doesn't pray very well. Tell me prayer doesn't work. And I'm not going to pick on her too much, but I'll point you to Sue Krenzel, who coming into our 424 service had numbers that were plummeting, got prayed for, and now numbers are up. Sure, there's other concerns the doctors have, but I think Rick nailed it when he said to me on the phone, I believe in the prayers at 424 service last Sunday. Because you see, the Savior takes our groans, takes our grunts, and loves us so much that He puts it in flowery words and great words and powerful words to the Father. That's the reason I'm positive in a not-so-positive world. I know a lady whose name is Shirley. I've never heard anybody pray like Shirley. When Shirley prays, it's like heaven's doors open. She has a prayer voice. She, she binds up bad things and loosens good things. And she shouts at the devil. I'm telling you, the devil runs. I'd run if I were the devil when Shirley prayed. She is powerful. If I were God, I'd be like, yo, angels, be quiet. Shirley's praying. That's how powerful Shirley's prayers are. I will never forget. Shirley praying for me as a young pastor and praying for me with passion. But even as powerful as Shirley's prayers are, nothing beats Jesus' prayers. This is the Savior of the world pleading your case before the Father. Even right now. That's powerful. Third point. My final victory is greater than my present pain. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Some of you may be saying, that's easy for Paul to say. If you say that, you have no idea what the Apostle Paul went through. I know many of you are going through some very significant things right now. Paul went through every bit of something as significant and way more. Let me just read some of the stuff that they talk about in Acts. First of all, he's beaten. And the people left him there because they thought he was dead. That's not just hit one time, friends. That's beaten. He was shipwrecked more times than we can count. He was whipped. He was left for dead. They thought he was dead. He looked so dead. He was snake bitten over and over again, tortured for his relationship with Jesus. And he says these words, I quote, I consider these present sufferings not even worth comparing to the glory of what God is going to do. Look, I don't know who it is, but I guarantee you there's someone in right in the middle of something very difficult right now. I'm not saying it's not difficult because it is very difficult. But from the eternal perspective, it's not even worth comparing what we're going, to, what we're going through now to the eternal glory of what God will do, whose name is above every name, can do through our pain. Even James said that we consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. Friends, He is going to do something great in us. Sure, we may have to wait a little while, but He's going to do something great in us. Point number four, my mind is filled with the peace of God. Paul then changes his perspective and he goes to the brain and in the mind and he says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Why am I optimistic? I'm optimistic because my mind is filled with the peace of God. My mind is filled with the peace that Romans chapter 8, verse 6 talks about. Your mind can be renewed as well, transformed by the washing watching of the water of God's Word. God's Word renews your mind, and you stop thinking the negative, earthly, sinful thoughts, and instead you get an internal perspective based on God's truth. Suddenly, when we see things from God's perspective, because of His goodness, because of His strength, the way He brings glory to His name, out of even the worst situations, in the middle of the trial, you can have a supernatural peace that goes beyond your human ability to understand. As I mentioned earlier, two children came walking into our house six months ago. No, eight months ago. Yes, I'm getting the okay. Two children came walking into our house around eight months ago. We were told everything's settled. This thing's moving. Adoption is clear. Six months in or so, we were told not so clear, not understanding. Sure, we felt like a wreck inside. But I can speak for her and I can speak for me. There was a weird peace in our house. There wasn't yelling and screaming, there wasn't throwing things across the living room in frustration. There was a peace. That God, you're going to do what you're going to do and we're going to live with what you're going to do. I want to tell you something. The way I felt, this may be bad for a pastor to admit, but I felt like throwing something across my living room. I felt like taking things and really getting mad. But there was a peace. I've asked God in even the toughest of situations to give me that peace again. There's something about knowing that God's got this. And when I say God's got this, that could mean that those two children go to another home and God still got it. It doesn't change God. And you say, well, you're so full of it, Pastor. I know you were pulling your hair out. Well, look, I don't have any to pull out, first of all. Second of all, sure, I was pulling my hair out. But deep down inside, I knew God, you got this. And I'm going to just trust in you and watch how it happens. And even if we were on the other end of this, I believe there would still be a peace in the Kindig household that would just say, Lord, you're in charge. And that's how you can be optimistic. Not by how you feel, but by what He says. Number five, if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who can be against us? Some of you say, Well, I know somebody who's against me right now. The truth is, yes, people will criticize you. They may not like you, they may take shots at you, but the reality is, is God is, is that God, if God is for us, what does it really matter? Seriously. If someone, a person B, is taking shots at you and you're saying to yourself, Look, If I went back and I looked at the Scriptures, I did exactly as the Scriptures said. I followed the Scriptures clearly. What does it matter if person B is taking shots? Because you know who's wrong? Person B. Not the person they're shooting at. And so God says, listen, who can be against you? He's not saying, Paul's not saying that no one will ever stand up against you. Let me be clear on that. Paul should know that everybody will stand up against you if you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that don't believe the same gospel will stand up against you. But What he's saying is, listen, does it really matter? In the grand scheme of things? When you look to heaven and Jesus says, look, you're doing what's right. Does it really matter? Now listen, I'm preaching to myself. Because I get real down when people start taking shots. And God has said to me, listen, are you doing what I've called you to do? Because if you're not doing that, then take the shots and you better straighten out. But if you're doing what you've called, been called to do, if you're bringing people to the name of Jesus, if you're watching people grow in their relationship with Jesus, if you're doing everything you've been called to do as a pastor of the church, as the father, and as the husband of a household, if you're doing everything, they can take all the shots they want. That doesn't really bother. Or it shouldn't. Because I'm happy god says god is for us what does it really matter if god approves us what does it really matter in fact when you start living boldly for jesus and i hope you do people will make fun of you and they will persecute you and they will ridicule you for your faith but if god's got your back what does it really matter Now, this sounds very gory, but I'm, I'm going to share this story. I was in a youth ministry at one time, and I had this kid come up to me, and he said, I can't go up and knock on doors and share my faith. And I said to him, what's the worst that could happen? And now this kid came up with the, the worst. The guy could have a shotgun, and he could load it, and he could blow my brains out. Right out there on his front porch, he says to me. And I looked at him, and <laughs> this sounds very uncompassionate as a youth pastor, and I said, and what would happen then? Well, I'd go to heaven. Is that bad? Well, no. Hmm. Hmm. See, even the worst case scenario. Yeah, a guy could shotgun me, blow my brains out all over the front porch. Am I not going to heaven? So what does it matter? Who's against me? See, that's the perspective change that needs to happen sometimes. Number six, God's Spirit helps me in my weakness. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Paul says this, all of this to us. And he challenges us. And he says, look, that's where some of you are right now. You're waiting on God to be faithful to a promise. And then he says in verse 26, in the same way, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Whenever we are down, the Holy Spirit holds us up. Whenever we are hurting, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Whenever we feel alone, the Holy Spirit is our friend. Whenever we are weak, the Holy Spirit is strong through us. I can be optimistic because I am never, ever, 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 ever I don't have that many evers in my notes, alone. You aren't. Sure, you feel like it, but you aren't. Bible says so. We're never alone. Number seven, God is working everything in my life for good. And he goes on and he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, please understand, I want to be clear here. Notice the words on the screen. He works the good for he works good for those who love him. I hear unbelievers from time to time people who don't love him according to the word use this scripture passage. Oh, he'll work it out for good for you. No he won't. It's not me saying it, it's the Bible. Those who love him, he will work out the good in their hearts. I love the word all in that Scripture passage. And in the Greek, it means all. That's exactly right. It means everything. It means the good things, the bad things, the mediocre things, the things you're glad to happen, the things you wish would never have happened, the things that right now are driving you crazy. God is working that all out for your good if you are a believer in Him. And so you can be passionate. You can be optimistic. And number eight, nothing can separate me from the love of God. I can't wait to get to number eight is what I said in my office this past week. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else of all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you look at that Scripture passage and try to find something that Paul didn't bring up. Well, I think that we can be too high to be with Jesus. Well, he says height. I think we can go too low to be with Jesus. Well, he says the depth... You can't get too low. He he figures it out and He says everything that you could possibly dream of. Every excuse in the book that I've ever heard for not coming to Jesus is listed here. He says there's nothing you can do to get away from the love of God. You cannot do something to cause Him to stop loving you. You cannot run away from His presence. He will chase you down. In fact, some of you right now, you may be trying to argue away why this is and that you've waved walked away from God and the reason you're hearing is this is because God's running you down because God hasn't given up on you yes there may be a lot of bad things going on in this world and there may be a lot of bad things going on in your life right now but oh friends Let's not focus so much on what's going bad in our lives as what's positive in our lives. God just gave you from Romans chapter eight, eight reasons that you. See, I said me, but you and I, most of you and I have a similar relationship with Jesus. And so number so the eight things are for you too. If you believe in Jesus, and I don't want to hear, well, yeah, I know, it's, but it's hard. I understand it's hard. Because the world preaches something completely different. If you don't feel good, then it's not good. And God says, no, if you don't feel good, read My Word. Because I'll tell you what's right. I'll tell you what's wrong. I'll get to the bottom of it in My deepest love for you. God says, and I want to end this sermon this sermon this morning with two questions. Here's the two questions: Which of the eight reasons to stay optimistic from Romans eight comes the hardest for you, and which comes the easiest, and why? Don't tell me, I don't need you to scream out answers, but I want you to do this today. I want you to sit down in your living rooms or in your dens and maybe even if the football game's on, that's okay. Just sit down and look over these eight reasons. And if you don't have the eight reasons, I'll tell you what, I'll make sure they're up on our Facebook page or I'll send you an email with all of them listed for you and and the blanks will be filled. Because I want you to seriously look at this and say, which one of these eight do I struggle with the most? Because I guarantee you, you start working on the one you struggle with the most. And all the other ones are going to get stronger. But if you ignore the one that's struggling with the most, you're just going to sink. God's using this. And He's saying, look, to focus in on these eight things that come from Romans chapter 8. And, 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 and just see what I will do if you work on the one that you struggle with the most. And then look at the one that you are doing great on. Which comes easiest? And then watch that one grow as you grow the the hardest one. Second question, is your attitude based more on what you see or what God says? How can you move towards the latter? I started this week on well, Monday when I started to think about this sermon series and I actually didn't even... Come up with it until Thursday. But when I started to think about it, I was, I was on the, the way end of, of how I feel. Depending on how I felt is how my day went. I'm starting to move towards how God says I should feel. I'm gonna tell you, I'm not there yet. If, if 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 this stage was the 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 the, the line and, and over there, if you stood over there, if you sat over there, you got it all together, you are the most optimistic person according to God, you know his word and everything else. If you're over there, I'm standing right here. It's where I'm at. I still got my foot in how I feel. But I realize that there's a word out there, there's God's word, the Bible, that says something completely different than what I feel. But I'm still being torn. Hoping by the end of the six weeks, I'm more like, you know, in this ballpark? So please understand, I didn't preach this with any kind of arrogance. Because I hurt too. Because I let my feelings control me too. And God said, it's time to stop doing that. It's time to move. It's time to live like I tell you to live. And that's hard for a lot of us. So basically, it comes down to this question. Next screen Are you a buzzard or are you a hummingbird? Look, if you're on this side, it's it's bad. I mean if you're hugging this door over here you're a buzzard. How do I know? <laughs> I'm the king buzzard of them all. Man, I feel something and I go down with it hard. Boy, you come over here, you got hummingbirds. They're finding the beautiful flowers and everything. They fly right over the trash that this buzzard's eating to get to the sweet nectar. Because you see, they're not looking for the trash. Stop looking for the trash. Stop looking for the roadkill. When I came to Faith Church, I used to tell other pastors. I know sooner or later the the wheels are going to come off the bus at Faith Church and then I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what other pastors used to say to me? Well, if you look for the wheels to come off the bus, they're certainly going to fall off the bus. Know why? Because I was a buzzard. I was looking for the negative. That person really doesn't care. That person really doesn't say what they do. That person really isn't. That person, that person, that person, that person. And meanwhile, my wife, who's more of a hummingbird than I'll ever be, is over there going, yo, stop talking like that. And I'm sitting at the supper table going, you don't understand. This person, they just don't get it. Blah, 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 blah. And she's going, yo, aren't we in the business of changing lives? That's why I'm preaching this sermon series. I'm not saying the church will never have buzzards. But what I'm saying is I'm hoping the buzzards move from that door to where I'm standing. So that we can get a little sweet nectar. And occasionally we may have to eat some trash. Because that's who we are. I hope you'll move. I really do. I hope if you're like me, a buzzard, probably not the king of the buzzards, but if you're a buzzard, that you'll move to a hummingbird. It's hard because you want to judge, because you want to make a phone call and tell people how you really feel. And that's okay, we have to be careful. Because I want to see the positive. I want to look at somebody, and instead of pointing out the negative of them, I want to look at them and say the positive. And sometimes, as a pastor, you can get caught in a trap where you look at all the negative. And you point and you say, Well, I wish they would do this and this and this. And God once again has said to me, very humbly and very loving. Stop it. Stop eating the trash when you can have nectar. And so I pray that this sermon series will do something for you as it's doing for me already. I've been working this out through Freddie and Serenity already this week. Things that I used to go, Freddie, knock it off. I stopped and I said, in eternity, what will this mean? if he's a little loud with his cars while I'm trying to concentrate? What will it mean? You know what I came to the conclusion of? It'll mean zilch. Jesus will not pull him aside at his entrance into heaven when he gets there and say, you know, you should have been a little bit quieter with your fire truck when Brett was trying to study. No one's going to get in trouble for it. and that's what i'm talking about seeing the positive the fact that the kid gets to play with a fire truck the fact that the kid has a house to live in the fact that the kid has a mother and a father who love him these are the things that are going to make impact in eternity not a fire truck no offense ralph not a fire truck <laughs> ralph's a firefighter by the way But that's what I'm talking about this six weeks. So I hope you'll come back for next week's message on being positive in a not-so-positive world. Let's close in a word of prayer together. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this day. We thank You for Your guidance to get us here today. We thank You for the positive that we are seeing Prayers answered here at Faith Church. People's lives changed. People coming back. People doing things that are are just wonderfully ministry-oriented. And I'm thankful for each of those things. And so, Lord, I pray that this week we would be really trying to be hummingbirds in a buzzard world. Really, Lord, our, our world is full of buzzards. The news stations are sometimes buzzards. The newspapers, the the things that we read. Help us, Lord, to look for the positive. Help us to look for places where you are working and then to say not, well, I wish they would have done it this way, but to say, Lord, thank you for what you're doing through people's lives. And we'll be careful to give You the honor, the glory, and the praise here at Faith Church as You continue to show Yourself faithful to all of us. For Lord, it's in Your name we pray this all. Amen. You may. Faith Church, trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust His Word and obey His Word. Amen.